0: Welcome to Supply Chain Radio. This is Greg Kiefer, and today I am joined by a special guest, Mr. Scott Conover. Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you, Greg. So,
0: Scott, in your role, you're out in the field talking to a lot of the world's biggest automotive companies, whether it's the OEMs or the Tier 1s, from a supply chain perspective, right? And Mm -hmm. I imagine you have some really interesting perspectives on what these guys are experiencing, how they're trying to deal with it, the millennial concepts, uh, Amazon effect, who knows, whatever else. So maybe we could just talk a little bit, what are they worrying about or what are they struggling with today? or What are some of the problems from a supply chain operational perspective that you're seeing these guys talk about somewhat in a common sense?
1: Yeah, it's really kind of interesting. You know, you know as we're here at, at Gartner, you know, the big message a year ago was all about being bimodal. And you still kind of see that two ways of thinking also within automotive. In one sense, you have the smart connected vehicles and, and what that's really driving and how consumers are also driving that into the marketplace. And their mindset is, hey, we've got to be quick, we've got to be nimble, and we've got to be digital. And you know, we've got to figure out how to do that very quickly. And we can't do that through the normal structure and process that we've done this in the past of you know, design, build, so on and so forth and it's gotta be very quick, repetitious within the marketplace. And so that's driving one behavior that we see within supply chain and, and automotive, and as well as heavy industrial. But then also on the other end of it, you know, on the other side of bimodal, kind of the samurai approach, you have people thinking, hey, I still gotta do my basic blocking and tackling and figure out, you know, hey, still gotta reduce costs, still gotta keep inventory in check, gotta make sure customer service is above levels that we expect. And all those same things are still in play there.
0: Right. What would you consider, I mean, do you have a general assessment of how technology enabled they are in the supply chain? Is it kind of old and outdated? Are they rapidly innovating? Are they in the cloud yet? What's just a broad brush point of view on that world?
1: Yeah, it goes both ways. And, you know, some companies, you know, one OEM specifically that I'm thinking of, you know, has decided to go one direction in terms of their technology. And it's still an old-school type of on-premise, not a cloud-based way of doing it, certainly not a network-based approach to how they're gonna orchestrate their global operations. And then you have others that are actually GT Nexus customers that are up in the cloud that are thinking about it from a network-based approach. And it's just kind of interesting in some of the thinking, even among the OEMs on the basic blocking and tackling how they're gonna go about this. What I see in terms of the cloud and the existing infrastructure that these companies have, because they're really operating off of an infrastructure that's been around for the last 30 years. And if you talk to them and ask them, hey, do you have visibility? They'll go, absolutely. You know, we've been working with our legacy systems, and we have all of our people plugging in, sending in EDI. Yeah, we got that marked off. I'm like, great. So, you know, if you type in a purchase order number, something of that nature, you're going to be able to pull it up. Yep, we can do that. Okay, great. So how do you put that into context with inventory and shipments and other types of objects that are necessary? And you, it's like a deer in headlights. right? And they struggle to do that. So process orchestration. So I look at visibility at four layers. The first one is foundational, where's my stuff? So they can check that box. Right. When they start getting into predictive, you know, kind of putting that in context with an ETA, some could do it, some can't. And then above that is prescriptive. So now that I know there's a problem, what are my options available to me and what are the costs and the types of things that's gonna help me to make better decisions around freight costs, inventory, so on and so forth. And then the fourth one is around cognitive thinking, cognitive computing. I don't even really go there too much with a lot of the guys in the automotive space I really stay at more of the first two, sometimes the third type of level. But that's really where they're at in their thinking and they really cannot still orchestrate a process because just like everybody else, they have about 80% of the data outside of their four walls of their organization.
0: Right, so in automotive, you know, you've got, there's parts supply chains, there's finished goods, whole goods supply chains, right? Mm -hmm. And spare parts that are going directly to dealers, et cetera. Are the challenges that you are talking about focused on one area or is it just kind of across everything?
1: It's really across everything, Uh you know, but some companies are trying to figure out really where's the best place to start. And it's really kind of dependent upon the company's strategic drivers that are pushing them. You know, we've got one customer who's specifically focused on outbound finished vehicle, you know, global movement of vehicles from, from Spain into North America or North America into China, India to Mexico, so on and so forth, as well as their domestic operations is a part of that. And then I've got others that are saying, you know what? Shutting down a plant's extremely costly for us, and right now we're holding on to a lot of inventory. We might have good understanding of our transit times, but putting that into context with variability is creating too much uncertainty, so it's driving up a lot of inventory, and we really need your help around that.
0: So you touched on something that makes me think of something there. So what about the tier ones? You know, the tier ones that are, in essence, providing a lot of that material to keep those assembly lines running where's the pressure there? Is it the OEMs putting it on them? Are they just keeping a bunch of extra stock on hand because they simply cannot afford to be the reason that a line shut down? And how are they addressing?
1: I see them in two buckets. One is they see the writing on the wall and the others are your typical laggards that are saying, I'll wait till they tell me to do something. But I can tell you with a lot of our customers on the on the OEM side, you know what they're driving for and what they have to get done, you know, uh, a company here was talking about their order-to-delivery project and, and how they were bringing in SNOP and and how that was really driving a lot of different ways of thinking. Well, what it's really going to be driving and, and what our project on the outbound with the same company is, is it's going to be really driving more transparency on the inbound side of their supply chain. And when they're asking for transparency, they're not asking themselves for more transparency. They're asking for their providers as well as their suppliers and even going back to another tier. To get more transparency and get that orchestration and control.
0: Right now, has the phenomenon that we're we're seeing in what I, I guess probably retail supply chains, whether it's the Amazon effect, where people expect stuff to you know happen overnight, or the ability to you know order a, a pair of shoes any color or style you want and have it show up a week later, is that hitting cars where you're going to go to a kiosk at a dealer and you know order a, a blue pickup uh, with knobby tires and a roll cage and have it? not take 6 months to get there or is that impacting any of this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. BMW's the first company that comes to mind. Uh-huh. Pretty well documented and you know, I can't remember it was the it was the Mini and they assembled about 232,000 in one year. Well, I think like 95% of those were all custom built.
0: Right. And they
1: had numerous types of different combinations that customers were coming in and putting together that requires an extremely nimble and agile supply chain to be able to make that really come true. And so you talk about the Amazon effect and what I talk about around the Amazon effect is really how people wanna consume information and consume data. And that Amazon has certainly you know, put forth uh, an expectation. And when we walk through our front doors of our businesses, we don't leave those expectations behind us. We're still expecting that same level of service and everything else. And you know, when you're going into the office and you're now looking at a green screen, and you know built 30 years ago you know you're you're not as enthusiastic about your job and you're certainly not going to drive millennials into your industry you know with that type of infrastructure and approach to how they're managing we've got one oem who said i'm struggling to bring in new talent on the it side because they see what we're set up with and they say, well what real value is there for me as a in my career to begin doing cobalt now
0: right so the Mini cooper story was interesting are there any other examples you've seen in the auto industry that are just remarkably cool stories of innovation that the rest of the industry is looking at? Sort of their version of Amazon, you know, like what Amazon is doing to retail. Is there a particular story that you've seen or anything that is like, I think they're trying
1: to get there. Uh They're trying to figure it out, how can they do that? You know, in Europe, it's very much different of a buying experience than what it is in North America. North America, we're very accustomed to walking into a lot, seeing the car we want, and driving it away. In Europe, it's not the same real estate is just a lot different it's not as readily accessible so they have these large car parks and they are still you know coming into a dealer getting kind of that dealer experience that consumer experience but they're still ordering and they're getting the car in about six plus weeks but they're not what's interesting around some of these is that like the bmw example they're customizing it while it's still on the line so if i made a decision hey i want to have you know video in the in the head seats you know, versus nothing, I can make that decision, you know, three weeks before it's finally built. Right. Now, automotive Toyota
0: pioneered lean. Is that still a major guiding principle in the automotive category? Or it definitely
1: is, it is lean Six Sigma. And, you know, what we're talking with a lot of people and what people are really discovering around lean and Six Sigma is that it's certainly necessary, but it's also a victim of success or they've become a victim of success because of what they've been able to accomplish with lean and Six Sigma. Because really, Lean and Six Sigma is great within the four walls of the organization, but you try to push that out, and now you're relying on third parties to adopt those same principles, and it makes it much more difficult. So I really don't see a true end-to-end Lean supply chain. And what's happened as being the victim of that success is that it's actually complicated things more so than anything between Lean Six Sigma outsourcing and low-cost country sourcing. It's really kind of a perfect storm that's happened over the last 15 years around this whole... Visibility and control, and, and wanting to become digital,
0: right? Right. I mean, and a lot of the supply chain exposure that you're referring to is common across all industry verticals, not just automotive. And absolutely. And you know, I think one of the things we've talked on the show extensively about is the notion of, and you've hit on it a few times, is you know turn the lights on, right? That end-to-end visibility, that singular view of everything, really is the first step from an innovation perspective. I and mean, would you concur for this category that that's the right first move?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If if it's something that they're lacking absolutely and we're still finding a lot of the companies in this industry are still lacking that basic not where's my stuff but you know that second third tier of visibility that they need to be able to achieve they got to be able to get there and every one of my customers and companies that I talk to tell us that they have a digital strategy or, or they're wanting to at least dabble in digital and every one of them have said visibility is a key enabler for us to be able to achieve that digital strategy So how can we get from where's my stuff to being more predictive and prescriptive and and getting more involved?
0: Right, right. Yeah, we had done a survey a couple years ago about digital transformation. And when asked the question, what is the enabler for you to get to the promised land of a digitally transformed supply chain? I think it was 94% of executives surveyed. Identified visibility as one of the key enablers, along with analytics and, and, and IoT computing. and some other things. Yeah, so that's exactly. right. But it's funny because you, you know you talked about it earlier. There's a lot of examples where you have silos of visibility, but you know, kind of stitching it all together into that singular view that everybody is seeing and operating against the same thing is is a pretty common problem. It's not just automotive.
1: If you can't put the information into context, and so I'll give you a good example. There's a company that well, actually I'd say the vast majority of the companies in automotive you know when it's time for a supplier to ship they don't really understand what's going to get shipped until the asn either from the supplier or from the consolidator they might get both but quite frankly by then it's actually too late and getting further upstream further left of the problem is really direction where i see companies need to go especially when you're talking about domestic supply chains you know let's get away from international for just a second and you talk about domestic and you're talking about transit times of you know two three maybe four days depending upon you know where you're at and where your suppliers are at but you got to be thinking about getting further left and getting better collaboration with your suppliers at the time of the order, order release. So that way you can get them to commit on quantity as well as dates. Now, a lot of times in automotive and a lot of companies, you're, you're almost your own worst enemy too, because even though you're within the frozen period, you're trying to you know change your forecast and, and what those release quantities are, are supposed to be. But you know what? It's still automotive. You still got to build to the releases and you know you got to make it happen. So that just creates more reason for better visibility earlier on in the process so that you can at least understand where your suppliers meet or are not going to meet your demand.
0: Wow. A lot there. A lot of ground we discovered, Scott. Thanks a bunch for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. This is Supply Chain Radio. Greg Kiefer, Scott Conover. We are signing off. <laughs>